Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Vince. Zach is sick again. Man, this guy with his fucking illnesses. Am I right? <laughs> he's uh, he's he's the Jair Bolsonaro of the show. He absolutely <laughs> loves going to the hospital. That's very true. He loves getting maladies. <laughs> he's gonna get scurvy one of these times. Yeah. Zach, if you're listening, suck on a lemon. It'll help you avoid scurvy. <laughs> um, he's getting he's getting into fights with uh, flamingos or whatever whatever was chasing him around. Uh, anyway, we're here to talk about some of the books that are coming out on December 27th. Uh, DC this year is really stacked the last week of the year, so we're actually going to split this off and do a second show about something that came out this week um, for next week because next is kind of a snoozer week of comics, but. Um, we're going to start off by talking about John Stewart, the Emerald Knight. This is a one shot that is tying up the uh, Green Lantern run from 2021. It's written by Jeffrey Thorne, illustrated by Marco Santucci. I'm a little upset that Zach's not here to talk about this because I think Zach was the most Jeffrey Thorne pilled by the <laughs> end of by the end of this uh, series. Uh, I was definitely the least Jeffrey Thorne pilled of it. So I'm let's start with you, Vince. What did you think of this quasi conclusion to the story? Well, as usual, I'm I, I was somewhere in the middle yes. whenever we whenever we talked about this book. And I think I probably still am. Um here's my thing. Whenever I read a, a Jeffrey Thorne Green Lantern issue. I, I always think it's one of the, oh God, I want to put this delicately. I, I don't want this to be insulting. It's very hard to read um, these comics. Like they don't go down easily. No. Um, like just his style of writing repels me a little bit. I think maybe I'm going to give him credit and say that I'm just too dumb for it. But he does this thing, and he does it constantly, which is that he will have a, two two or three people having a conversation in narration boxes while an entirely different thing is happening uh, in the action. And I can't follow it. <laughs> so if somebody is like, if there's a conversation going on and there's action going on, there are ways I've seen like writers and artists make that work beautifully. And then um, you you get the total picture and it goes down really smoothly. I don't get that from Jeffrey Thorne. And I think, uh, like, he's got a lot of really smart ideas about this character and about the Green Lanterns. Like, I really do. I'm not just saying this um, to make up for me being too stupid to, like, read <laughs> the way that he wrote this. <laughs> But, like, I really do think he's an ideas man. Like, there, there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I and I want to dig into it. And we said that, uh, Zach and I at least, said the same thing about the previous run. There were all these really great ideas in there. And I think the way that they just come across, maybe other people feel different, but I often have to, I feel like I'm digging to find the good ideas that are definitely there and they're apparent, but I'm wading through, I'm wading through this um, just really baffling sort of narration style or delivery mechanism for the, for the dialogue. 
Um, before I turn it over to you again, uh, something that 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 Greg Matasevich and I were just talking about on a uh, a Robots from Tomorrow podcast that will be coming out in the future uh, is the, the the Alan Moore Superman stuff, and Alan Moore, uh, when he did like for the man who has everything, did a lot of switching back and forth between two scenes. It was the black mercy story, right? So like right. you would see, you would see something in the black mercy dream that Superman was having. And then there would be dialogue or narration that would bleed through and they would overlap, but it was always so clear. It was always so it, there was like a doubling effect where like it was, it was talking about the thing that was going on in the dream and also in reality, like they could be, they bleed into one another or they were so simple that it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't distract you from the thing that you were seeing on the page. Right. Whereas I feel like when I, when I was reading this and trying to make heads or tails of it, I was having to read two completely different narratives going on in one panel, perhaps. And there's a lot of sci-fi lingo and mumbo jumbo thrown in there. Um, a lot of made up words and things that like just muddies that and makes it all difficult. I know I sound like a huge Luddite and a moron. No, saying, no, you don't. But like, but, but it really has a deleterious effect to, and there's a big word. So that I was going to say smarter. <laughs> um, it has a deleterious effect on the experience of reading what I think is a comic that has some really good ideas about John Stewart. And I thought that same damn thing about the series that came before. And I just wish, uh, I like, I think Thorne is talented and, and smart about how he's approaching this character, but I think it's maybe too cerebral for its own good or like too, I don't know what, I don't know what, um, but I, if it, if it would have been, if the narrative would have been delivered and part of it to, to give him a little bit of a break, part of it is there's no way that, that, that mini series and also now this like one shot special, there's no way that there wasn't more planned at some point or that it wasn't supposed to turn out differently or 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 go differently than it did you know and i think we'll never know that but especially with the future state stuff kind of happening before it but really being a narrative that 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 this would kind of lead up to in a in a certain way the whole project was just so jumbled from the beginning that it was like then having a narrative that's delivered like this doesn't help at all. It, it makes it worse, you know, yes. um, if, if that makes sense. So anyway, uh, say your piece and then we'll talk about the stuff about it that I actually liked. But um, just as a, like, as a thing that you're reading, like all, all story points and art and everything else aside, like as a reading experience, really just tough to, to get through well okay a couple of things first of all this book has done no favors by thorn and I, I don't mean this necessarily in a negative way thorn decides the best way to use the 40 pages of this book or however many pages it is 
is to tell a 40-page story where this is the classic example where if we told a 38-page story and had a two pages of catching us up on the status quo, even though most of the stuff comes back to you after a while, so much weird shit happened in this book, in, in the book that leads up to this, that you can be forgiven for not remembering quite what the status quo is that you're walking yourself into. So the book is already at a bit of a disadvantage because unless you're reading this in the future in a collection or you just revisited the series to catch up on this, you're going to wind up being a little bit confused. And Thorne does does you no favors by the way that he presents this. Um, maybe that's unfair, but I, I think that's accurate. Um, do you agree with that piece or no? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's unfair. I think. I think that actually speaks to my point about how this was all supposed to go differently. Yes. Because, because this is very much issue 13 of the series that yes. came before, you know, or whatever, however long it went, you know? Yeah. Um, um, the the other sort of overarching idea that I took from this is that I didn't really think about the last in, in the series, which I didn't like, but I, I, I think that this helps me appreciate it a little bit more. I think that these are very good ideas that Thorne has, like you were saying, but these are almost universally bad Green Lantern ideas. <laughs> oh, interesting. I think that this would have been a very interesting creator-owned title or something different, but I don't think any of the Lantern stuff works at all here. Oh, if you're talking about, like, John having to be the central battery and... uh having to give everybody weapons and that's his way to like work around them not having rings. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's great. <laughs> uh, if that's what you're referencing, that that's part of what I'm referencing. Yes. I just okay. think in general, this, I also think his, his John Stewart is Kilowog. The characters that we know that he is writing, he doesn't do a particularly good job of writing them as the characters that we know. I, I, I think he does a good job with John, but I would probably, I'd probably agree with, about everybody else. Yeah, it's just it to me this is this is very much somebody who had an idea and may, you know I'm not I've actually interviewed Thor and he seems like a good, good dude. And he actually said to me like DC wanted something different. It felt the Green Lantern stuff wasn't working. They wanted a different take. And he certainly delivered that different take. But to me this is not real this doesn't really feel like a Green Lantern story that I want to spend much time with because it takes away almost all the best stuff about Green Lantern stories. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'm i not a fan of it on, on almost any level, except that I do think some of these sort of broader ideas are interesting ideas. They're interesting fodder for stories, just not this story is sort of how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... I, I think I think most of that is fair. Um, oh, sorry. Keep did you? No, did go, you ahead. Have... no go ahead. Go ahead. I I said I I was going to say I think most of that is fair. I think he does a a good job of of writing John. If and you know I'm surprised at you saying that because the one thing that this John does not do now Zanchi plays a a big role. Yeah, so, so so towards the end there is some, but I mean. Okay, so let me let me put it to you this way. Most of the time when we see John Stewart talking about Zanshi, it's always woe is me, woe is me, I let this happen, I'm I'm miserable over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. 
that's not what this is. It's it's employing Zanchi to bring it back in a certain way, just like the rest of the DCU is kind of bringing things back. I mean, right. why should why should this be any different, you know? So to that end, it's not this John. It's actually John using a version of the, well, we'll get into that, but like using a version of the Cosmic Odyssey John to like overcome this maybe finally, well, depending on what future writers want to do, you know? Um, uh, so I actually thought that that was a, a really, like, I loved that idea. That's one of the ideas I'm talking about that I think, like, if it was executed better would be, a, would make for a really great John Stewart story. Like it's probably the best redemption of the Zanchi thing that I've seen. They've tried to do it several times. I think in a vacuum that that little sequence was like the best version of that I think I've ever seen. The other Counter, thing is counterpoint to that though. Yeah. No writer will ever touch this shit again. This is essentially well, a closed off circle. And so if you are trying to redeem John for Zanchi, this doesn't exactly do that because no one's ever going to read this again. I don't know, Brian. We'll see. We'll see. That's I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of conjecture. You don't think that like like whether DC I don't DC will never consider this like a cornerstone story or like a, a evergreen comic or anything like that. Like they're not going to be releasing it over and over again and reprinting it. But you don't think that the reason we even have this one shot is that maybe that was something they wanted to accomplish in the wake of or or alongside Dark Crisis. I kind of think it might be. Um, I'm going to plead the fifth here. Oh, boy. Okay. I, I, I know something <laughs> oh, about this that, I, that I can't say. And you didn't share it with us. Well, I actually did share it with you about a year ago. Okay. Um, All right. But. I'll refresh right. your memory later. Okay. Um, I know this is very unfair to our listeners, but uh, very unfair to Mr. Listener. But um, <laughs> no, I. Uh, I, I uh, let me just say this. I, I think that. I think it was important to DC to let Thorne finish the story he was telling. OK. But I mean, we we aren't even seeing this version of John Stewart in any of the dark crisis stuff. No, no, you're right. But, but bring, I, I just think that, I mean, you could ultimately be right, but I think that bringing back Zanchi is such a monumental, I don't expect them to ever really reference. Well, it's kind of how they treat. It is almost how they treat, uh, uh, the Wally stuff in Heroes in Crisis, right? Like, oh, interesting. Do, okay, I see what uh, you're it, saying. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like, like, we have seen. Huh, and again, I don't know how many of these comics. I can. I'm not going to say anything specific because they're probably comics we haven't necessarily talked about on the show yet. But there are references to the events of, uh, Flash Forward and Heroes in Crisis in some recent comics. But if you read them, they, they do not do anything to draw you to those events. They're not telling you to go and read that stuff. They don't even act like they 
want to acknowledge that they were serious. It's just, it's a thing that happened. It has to be acknowledged as part of Wally's history, but they gloss over it. So almost dismissively <laughs> that it's like, this is something, this is something we can't ignore, but we need to use it for, for current storytelling, but we don't necessarily want you to go back and read it. I feel like this could easily be that where like, we see a future. Oh yeah. Zanshi's back. Um, we're not really going to spend too much time telling you how that happened, but it's back, you know? I mean, I I just feel like if DC wanted to do that, they have had so many opportunities to bring Zanshi back through all the things you're talking about. I mean, all all they need to do is do a, um, a fucking Rise of Skywalker, Zanshi's back somehow, like, <laughs> line, and people would be okay with that. Because this is comics, baby. Sure, but they're not they're not publishing this is the only Green Lantern title they've published in months. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like see, I really think that this is um <clears throat> I really think that they just realized this is this didn't work. And that they just they they pulled the plug on this. I think that this I think the idea was that this is maybe going to become the new Green Lantern status quo. And then they realized for whatever reason it wasn't working and they stopped doing it. And this is just to get Thorin's story out there and, you know, finish it because there's a, you know, because because they're good to their creators. I, I, I know a lot of folks have said in recent years that DC has been much better to their creators than other companies have been. And I could see this as being, listen, we know this didn't work out. Let's let you write a real ending to this story and let's let's put it out there for that. But I really think this is considered an abject failure because we've seen nothing from this at all uh, sure. anywhere else. Um, a couple of things I do want to talk about before you get into your uh, what you liked about this. This uh, issue, somebody said this says the word bastage. Someone yes. says sprocking. We were just a shway away from the hat trick of shitty future speak yep. uh, at DC. Uh, when John, when there's the two versions of John, it's essentially the landfill gag from uh, Beer Fest. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, I literally laughed out loud when it ends with like end of chapter one. Oh, like, God. There will oh, never be a chapter God. two. Never, no, there. that is that's the most. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's the most this isn't happening thing that's ever happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is worse than Stargirl ending on Never the End. Um, sp- Speaking of Stargirl, the end of Stargirl, spoilers for those who were watching the show, is like a 10 years in the future flash forward. And it is basically just Jeff Johns and James Robinson, who was a writer on Stargirl, just making it as if they ran DC in the 90s. Like, <laughs> They talk about the new JSA, and the team is just like everything those two wanted to do. Um, it's fun. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So, so what do you like about this? Um, so I already mentioned the the I actually liked the landfill stuff because I think Thorn like again in a vacuum like just just that that scene or two that that it happened in. It is some of the best. Uh, John redemption stuff or like John uh, getting into John as a character without returning to the two things that, 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 you know, we think that they tend to focus too much on, which is, which is uh, his, his veteran background and his, uh, and, and, 
and well, no, no, and the the Zan and the, and the wallowing in the Zanchi stuff, like the the pitying himself, you know. Yeah. Um, it it managed to overcome that without going to these wells. It kind of it 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 really did feel like John. I think there's a line in there, and I don't have it in front of me, so um, I can't give you the exact line. But he says something about like, it turns out I was looking for myself all along, or whatever. And to be like. To be fair to Jeffrey Thorne, I think this is a fresh take on Jon Stewart that we have not seen. I think this is now. Now you may not like it, or you may not think that it sounds particularly like Jon Stewart, or maybe the just the book around it was a drag, so it makes the you know who cares about the characterization then. But I do think he accomplished something different with Jon that I appreciate. You know. In isolation, I appreciated the way that he handled John's character, even if everything else around it was kind of boring and contrived. Um, speaking of contrived, the one other negative thing I want to say before I talk about the couple of other things that I liked was um, <laughs> it's the parts where Lonar, this really felt like it was um, condensing a lot more that should have been here into a one shot. The parts where Lonar was like telling John all this stuff that would be like the key to beat Isak, the the main villain. Yep. And John's like, I wish you would have told me that all that earlier. And Lonar was like, well, I couldn't, you know. Yep. <laughs> Just like the laziest, like if you're writing an omnipotent god or or like a far seeing uh deity like that, like just to say, like, well, at the time I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Right. It's like the laziest thing that you can do, but you know, it's hard to fault. <laughs> it's hard to fault a writer for that when like, Oh yeah, I guess. How do you handle like people communing with gods who are supposed to be able to see everything? But um, okay. Other stuff I actually liked. This is going to be bold of me, I think, but the explanation for Isak harnessing hyper time and using it to make these dark sectors is almost the exact same thing that pariah was doing in dark crisis except i think i like this explanation better than the dumb pariah stuff from that event <laughs> like if pariah would have been would have been kind of tying twist tying off these like strands of hyper time to create dark or to harness dark energy or create dark. That would have been so much more interesting than whatever we were supposed to think he was doing. I mean, we spoiler, spoiler alert for the last issue, but the last issue gives away what Pariah was doing the whole time. And it's don't forget people are hearing that episode before this episode. Oh, they are. Okay. I, Brian, I don't know where we are. Like, I know our recording schedule has been chaotic lately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, then I can say it like you find out that Pariah was only actually communing with like a tiny fraction of the great darkness and not not even the full power of the great darkness itself. It almost makes it seem like they thought that that Pariah stuff was dead on arrival in the first place. Yep. Whereas I think like this would have been a much. It's still stupid and comic booky, but but it's it makes some sense in a, in a, in a dumb comic booky way. So I really liked that. Um, I thought that was a clever, a clever use of hyper time. Um, and then also I think uh, the part that 
the part, the other part that really works is John speaking to Isak and tricking him kind of into one, one of the, one of the tenets of the story is that um, a, a God can go rogue and if they're not defined as a god, I forget the word that they use for that, but like if they if they're not the god of something, um, or they don't represent anything, then they have more power than they normally would. And once they're confined to whatever they're the god of, then they then there's kind of like a tamp put on their power and um they're kind of they go down a specific pathway then. And John kind of like first of all, approaching Isak very empathetically and calmly and verbally and then kind of tricking him into putting himself in a box and then weakening him that way again like that scene in isolation i think was done really well the problem with all these things that i liked about this was that was like five or six pages of this issue (laughs) and there were like 30 34 more pages of just um yeah just just nonsense and 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 kind of yeah does yeah. that does that all make sense it does yes um and i think some of the stuff that you've talked about is is valid and i can understand why you would feel that way and that's you know that's great that there is nothing that i could really say to like i nothing that you said do i feel like uh i could argue in any way um, besides just like I don't like it as much as you do, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but your, your points are all valid. I, I just think that this is a very, very strange, a strange status quo that got abandoned very quickly. Like it's crazy to me that DC decided, you know what? I think we're gonna go with keeping the Becky Clute and uh, Michael W. Conrad Wonder Woman going and canceling this. Mm. I think that mm. is just as dead on arrival as this was. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, this was the one that got the chopping block. They got put on the chopping block, rather. Um, and so I, I, I find it very strange that this was basically the only casualty of that of that initial um, infinite frontier uh, line, right? Isn't that essentially... The only, the the only one of the original books that didn't last like long at all. There's no way. Of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Like, I what think other you're books, right. I think you're right. You know, um, yeah. It, it, it's just, it's just very, it's very strange that this book both failed as spectacularly as it did in the eyes of, I don't know, readers, critics, whatever, and also got this like weird epilogue to it. Um, just a very, very strange thing in general, but, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad even if this isn't my cup of tea, I am very glad that DC let Thorne finish his story. Yeah. I, that's a very good, or I'm putting finish in quotes because apparently he has more chapters to this. That'll never happen, but you know, <laughs> uh, it would be so funny to see his like, series bible and he and he's like he's got like chapter 12 yeah exactly in there and this was this was just chat the the first 13 issues of this was all chapter one and he's like <laughs> well damn it i guess i'm not getting to the the rest of this yeah 
he was going to make every Green Lantern boring, not just John Stewart. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's talk about a book now that I I, I think we could. This is either going to be a five minute conversation or an hour long conversation. <laughs> so uh, strap in, folks. This is the uh, Tales from Earth Six anthology, which is celebrating the uh, Stanley Just Imagine line from the early two thousands. And before we get into the actual, you know, discussion of this book, uh, did you ever read any of this stuff when it was coming out? Never. Never. I I thought I may have. And then revisiting this title, I am convinced I never did. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Do you have any memory of like uh, of this stuff as a a thing that was happening? Boy, um, what year would it have been happening even? I want to say it was 2001 or 2002. Yeah, it ran for a year from September 20, September 2001. Never forget September 2002. Yeah, so so I got into comics in high school. My first year of high school was 2001, but I was strictly I you know, I had a limited budget and I was strictly reading Spider-Man and X-Men around that time and maybe Fantastic 4. And I was not, I don't think I was reading any DC. I didn't start reading DC until the lead up to uh, Identity Crisis. What year was Identity Crisis? Uh, 03? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I started to ramp. I 04. Started to... 04, sorry. Okay, so I probably started reading DC in 2003 because I, I p- started picking some stuff up in advance of identity crisis, my DC comics superhero origin story. I think I've mentioned it once or twice on the show is wizard was pitching identity crisis as the greatest comic of all time is about to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. the most stunning event you've ever seen is about to happen. And the hype worked so well on a 14, 15 year old me, whatever I was, that I hopped over to DC and started picking some stuff up. So I would have missed all of this. Okay. So I was, um, this was, I, I was a freshman in college, oh, sorry, sophomore in college when this, uh, when this series started. And at the time I was buying my comics at a place called hobby masters in <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, they knew I was a big Green Lantern fan, so they would put aside any Green Lantern book that came in for me to either just, you know, peruse or buy. And I was like, I gotta buy this. This is a crazy this is a crazy idea. And I remember it was not uh it was not particularly interesting to me. Although I wanna go back and kind of reread this stuff and I was actually gonna suggest this is maybe one of our uh um uh intermezzos for our uh for our Patreon show. Yeah. Uh, just because it would be very we, weird. We could. Yeah. We'll run that by Zach later. Um, but these, um, I I just remember the sort of, and again, I was not as tuned into comics criticism and all that then. And this is, I was not reading Wizard with any regularity at this point. But I feel like this was just met with, general apathy <laughs> that nobody mm. really gave a shit about this when it was happening uh beyond the idea of it being cool 
I don't think anybody really, you know, was going ape for this or anything. Um, but I do remember a couple of the designs. Like, I think the Green Lantern design is actually interesting, as is the Shazam design. They just, they're so different than what you'd expect. Um, yes. Green Lantern looks almost like Green Man the Green Lantern. <laughs> green Man, like, it's always sunny Green Man. No, like the Green Lantern Green Man. Oh, like the Green... Oh, God, yes. You're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I saw I saw a picture of the... Um, somebody on Twitter was uh, talking about the It's Always Sunny podcast, and it made me think of oh. the Green Man. You know what I'm talking about? I've never seen an episode of It's Always Sunny. So, oh, God. Uh, well, that's our next podcast. I've heard it's excellent. Again, it's, nothing about my... Uh, nothing about the show is just, you know... Yeah. Only so many hours in the day, etc. You're 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 right. Yep. Um but yeah, so um I'm so sorry. That, that's okay. That's okay. So uh what is interesting about this uh, anthology book is that a number of these creators were involved in the original Just Imagine series. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um uh Jerry Ordway who uh, wrote and drew the JLA story. He drew the JLA story originally. Um, who else? Uh, Michael uh, Uslan, who writes the Batman story. He had scripted one of the things in this. Um, I want to say uh, Kevin McGuire did one of the issues originally as well. So, you know, it, it's nice to see DC reached out to some of those folks to bring them back for this. I'm surprised Jim Lee didn't do anything here because Jim Lee was the Wonder Woman artist originally on this. He's working on it right now. Yeah, I was going to say, they probably gave him this assignment five years ago, and he's uh, he's still working <laughs> on it. But just generally, I I know that you were not familiar with this stuff beforehand. Did this stuff read... Like, was it easy enough to pick this up, or did, did you find this to just to be a, a total morass of unknowable information? So I think you had... You had more or less two types of stories in this anthology. One were the stories that assumed that you knew exactly who these characters were from the old titles. And they just more or less picked up where those characters left off or just at, at, just assume that you knew what kind of what their personalities or what their deals were. And then there were other ones that basically explained who the characters are, what their deals are, what is different about their corner of the world or whatever. But then those stories only amounted to being like, um, very rote. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything about their quality when I'm saying this, but like very rote, like, Hey, this is their deal. Oh, here's the bad guy. Here's how they beat the bad guy. (laughs) Yep. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and nothing. And I, and honestly, I'm, I'm not saying anything about their quality because some of those stories were my favorite ones because I didn't feel lost. And there were things I found to like about those where the ones more or less, where they more or less were just picking back up. I thought like, okay, I'm, I am missing something here. So there's no way I can enjoy this as much as I maybe would. Sure. Um, and honestly, like, I love Mark Wade, but that was one where for much of that story, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to already know kind of what their deal is. And I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, he wrote the he wrote the Superman one. Yes. 
Uh, instead of going through like each of these beat by beat, I think we should just talk about anything that sort of jumped out to us. But I want to say, you know, I've read at least one of these, but I have no real knowledge of these characters either. And I didn't find them as impenetrable as you did in times at times, but some of them certainly were less um less accessible than others, let's say. Yeah. Is my general assessment of like the types of stories they're telling correct? Like Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah. Like for instance, I think that the Batman story with the choker, <laughs> the, choker. the Joker. I Joker's love that trick. by the way. I just I, I actually I, I, I unironically love that. I think it's pretty hilarious. Um, they should make a follow up called the Three Chokers. But I have to say, like, I also I think there was there was a lot of press around the time of uh, Future State about there being a black Batman, and not realizing that uh, Stanley had done that twenty years earlier, mm-hmm. like literally twenty years earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish he got more credit for that. I'm usually not one advocating for Stanley getting more credit for something, but uh, <laughs> you know, but here we are. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that story a, a, a bit. I I thought that the Flash story did one of the better jobs of bringing you into the world that the story takes place in, but it was a pretty boring story. Um, yes, yes, I agree. That was one that did a good job of explaining, like what her deal is yeah i felt that the wonder woman story and the aquaman stories felt the most like actual stanley comics uh in good and bad ways actually i thought that the aquaman one was actually really fun and playful and the wonder woman one felt kind of like how stan could sometimes get a little bit uh I don't know what the word I'll go for is here. Like you can really, really see what the, he's trying to to make like a social point in his books in, mm-hmm. in, in his story, and that one really felt like he's like you have to understand why this is important, and uh, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I thought Steve Orlando was clearly having a lot of fun with his Sandman story. Yes, but that's impenetrable. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I thought the script. Yeah, the script for that one was clearly. Well, it's typical Steve Orlando, right? Like his, his scripts are always so fun in that way. But uh, yeah, you definitely, definitely assume that you knew the deal. Yeah. Um. Overall, I thought the art was pretty fun through a lot of this. Like, you know, that I, was the highlight. Yeah. A Pablo Collar who did the Flash story. I really enjoyed that art a lot. Uh, it's always fun to see Kevin McGuire doing interiors. Lee Weeks doing the Batman story was fun. Juan Ferreira doing the uh, Shazam story. All that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the worst art, I'd say, was actually the Max Dunbar art in the Sandman story, the Steve Orlando one. Mm, sure. But, yeah, overall, I thought this is a nice idea. I think it's cool that DC is not that like with with the uh, with the infinite multiverse returning. I think it's cool that they are doing stuff with this with these properties because they own the IP. Why not? Yeah, right? why not um, do it? I'm surprised there wasn't more of a tribute to Stanley wedged in there somewhere, but I suppose that's fine. 
Yeah. Um, any other last thoughts on this? Um. Uh, I thought the the Catwoman art from Anthony Marquez was um, it was going for a Darwin Cook Catwoman. Yes, and you know, obviously not, obviously no, not Darwin Cook, right? Nobody right. is. But, but I it would wasn't like to... quite Carwin Duke either. <laughs> right. I I, I want to see more of it. I would say, you know, I I definitely would not mind more of that art showing up. Um, the Balin Ortega stuff in the Wonder Woman was really good, and uh, shout out to Jerry Ordway because I actually, against all odds, shut up, Brian. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was maybe one of my favorite stories in this. It was fun. Um, it had a, a, a kind of a Stanley esque spirit to it, uh, I thought, and and it introduced a very like embarrassing epic beard, uh, uh in, like Instagram influencer snapper car, yeah, which is just perfect. Uh, so I really appreciated that. Yes, that's that that snapper car is uh is unfortunate. You are right. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but it's like, well, how can we take this character who was already annoying, you know, like of his time and make like the annoying version for 2022? Right. And he nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't argue with that. No. I don't even know how how much if if Ordway knows how much he nailed that. <laughs> like I can already I can hear this guy. I can see him on Instagram, like ranting at you about how you shouldn't be eating seed oils and, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a break and when we return, we're talking about our final book of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, denizens of earth 1218. We are the hosts of make mine multiversity, a twice monthly podcast. I'm Jaina. And I'm Elias. Make mine multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into all things X-Men, sometimes we do a book club for Marvel series past and present, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our heavyweight champion. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. And we are back with a discussion of Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons number three, Written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, illustrated by Nicola Scott. Um, we have talked about this series in the past and how it is just letting artists really do their absolute best work possible. And Nicola Scott continues that tradition here. My God, does this book look gorgeous? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a book that I, I think we really suffer from reviewing it digitally mm-hmm. and i i want i want an oversized copy of this collection that i can just bask in all the artwork and not worry about the uh the visuals of it being pixelated or <laughs> um having to find like the right resolution on your screen you know none of that particularly appeals to me in terms of try like, i want to enjoy the comic without thinking about those aspects of it right so mm-hmm. i um I also think that this is a, uh, almost like we talked about before with the Green Lantern stuff. 
it's not like there's a long time. I'm sorry. It has been a long time between issues two and three. And while I picked up the story easier than I did with Green Lantern, it is still a bit jarring to be so far removed from chapter two to get chapter three. What I'm basically saying is that there is nothing more um, appealing to me in the future than reading this whole thing in an oversized collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the good thing about this story uh, compared to the Green Lantern one is that you really only need to remember like the one thing that happened at the end of the second issue, you know, as opposed to as opposed to like the entire scope of everything that the first issue, two issues covered. Yeah. Whereas I, I feel like for the Green Lantern one, like you had to know everything because this one shot encompassed wrapped up essentially everything. Right. Um, whereas I guess it helps that like, if you generally know the, the wonder woman canon, yes, this is adding new things to it or remix, but you know, for the most part, like, you generally know who this cast of characters is. You generally know the pantheon of the gods and, you know, you just, you just had to remember what kind of the inciting element was for setting the gods off against this, this group of, of wandering, this tribe of wandering Amazons. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this, I mean, God damn is this good? This whole project has been a home run. And I think, I mean, I think Nicholas Scott is like one of the best, let's say like post or maybe even like a little bit pre new 52. Right. Um, but definitely of that, like late two thousands, early 2010s, one of the best artists to come out of there. Yep. And I think this is the best work she's ever done, honestly, like um, because the, the the one criticism I would ever levy at Scott's work, if you, we, you know, we read like the Earth 2, we revisited the Earth 2 stuff for the Patreon uh, yep. recently, recently enough. And um, the her work on that title, uh, you know understandably at the beginning is much more detailed and stronger, I think than it is in later chapters. Right. Which I think is a common, whenever you ask of a very like detailed, exquisite artist, like Nicholas Scott to do a monthly book. And the new 52 was very much about pumping those books out on time. You just run into that, right? Yes. But when this book these artists were all, as far as I know, allowed to work at whatever pace they needed to, to produce a work that is like, like within her style, pretty peerless. Like yep. there's not, there's not a week. Like it doesn't get weaker as it goes along. There's not, like, there's no sh obvious shortcuts. It's the, again, the most exquisite detail of her career and you could say the same thing about the previous two artists who were doing <laughs> work on this title it's insane right. it's insane how it makes you think that all corporate comics should be made this way because it actually produces something that's like not just doesn't feel disposable or doesn't not to denigrate anyone else's work but like 
it it sustains you right like reading yes. these reading these comics it's like oh this is actually great work this isn't just soap opera um you know once a month uh zach always talks about how like manga in japan they get like an issue of shonen jump and then they like leave it on the train because they're done with it you know right. <laughs> um zach's words i don't know if that's true or not but you know that's what he says like they they treat it like a phone book or something and you know to a certain degree and as long as the as long as the creators are are being treated well i, I don't think that always happens with manga <laughs> um you know no harm no foul but wouldn't things be so much better if everything was given this kind of attention and time and care. And, and then in the end, if you charge more for it, it's, it's worth it, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. Sorry. I, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that, first of all, this is an excellent comic and almost, almost any way that you try to define it. This is an excellent comic. I think it like, how, how do I want to say this? I, I feel like this is the perfect, primer to give somebody like if when they inevitably reboot the Wonder Woman film franchise somebody should have to read this before writing the first Wonder Woman film mm, yeah yep. it just perfectly sets up everything you would need to know going into this going into the Wonder Woman world right and while I don't think that every story needs to so accurately reflect like the history of the characters. This just gives you such a great sense for why Themyscira is the way it is, for why the Amazons are the way they are, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's mm -hmm. really well done. Now, when this was announced, it was announced as an as a graphic novel trilogy, yes. with the Amazons being book one. And so Wonder Woman Historia would have two more subtitles and have three more issues each going into it. If that's the case, I am so hyped for what the next <laughs> one is. But I could also see these three issues being counted as like their own short OGN. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how this is going to be structured in the future, but I think it's an unbelievably ambitious and cool way to tell the story and I, I i really i really really hope that i mean i'm 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 going all over the place here you you said you were rambling i'm just bouncing <laughs> off the walls here but i feel like this is what black label was supposed to be yeah 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 it, this is it's letting it's letting creators tell more ambitious, less confined versions of of classic stories. And yes. while both of us are big Wonder Woman fans, I think it's pretty inarguable that Wonder Woman has less classic stories than her fellow Trinity members. There haven't been as many runs on Wonder Woman that have produced like universally acclaimed runs that if you're a true fan, you have to have read those runs. And yes. I think this, I think that this absolutely gets slotted into that right now. 100%. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good point you make because even with the, the Batman and Superman one, like 
Wonder Woman's got some great runs, but that's a lot to ask. Like, it's a lot to ask somebody who maybe only dabbles in comics. Uh, hey, you got to read the whole Perez run of Wonder right. Woman. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, um, whereas like Batman and Superman both have several four issue, six issue, 12 issue max evergreen uh, titles that you can point to and say, like, just pick up that trade and read it. And, and you, you got a full story and that's all you need for now. You know, yep. Wonder Woman's got very few of that. And the ones that I could think of, they're not as definitive takes on the character as, you know, there's always some twist about them or there's always some, they don't have those evergreen things that just sum up the character in the way that like, a Superman for all seasons does or whatever, you right, know? Right. Yes. Um, And so, so yeah, it's tougher, but this accomplishes that even though Diana's not really there until the last page. <laughs> right. Um, But I hope, I hope there's more. I hope. Yeah. Cause I, I remember the same thing that, that you do about this supposed to be, this is supposed to be a trilogy of books and that, you know, book one, two, and three of this were just, that was one book really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think there was supposed to be, there was supposed to be like a, a Themis, then like a Themyscira uh, volume and then a Diana on earth volume or whatever. Are you, uh, do you know that for sure? Or are you just, uh... I think that was the specul. I'm no, I don't know that for sure. Nothing was ever announced and nobody has said anything since. But I think that was the speculation of, you know, if this were a three volume thing, that's how you would break it down. Right. Which, which makes sense to me. Right. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If this was all if this was all pre Themyscira, because they, they don't even get to Themyscira until the the again, like the last two or three pages. um, Then you would do a whole book. Essentially on that. And then you would do another book, presumably that would be like early Diana stories on earth or whatever. Right. Um, and then by the end of that, you would have a, a kind of a definitive, uh, kind of a definitive t- take on the character, but you know, may- maybe that's not in the cards. I hope it is. Maybe it was never in the cards. Maybe it was just another one of those things that Dan DiDio, <laughs> all right, there's going to be three of these. And right, yeah. And <laughs> Kelly Sue's like, well, wait, a- wait a minute. Like, like nine total, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, boy. And Kelly Sue too, like you would think if you just glanced at this, that it would be kind of like a very stuffy, um, self-serious take because it's trying to be so definitive. Um, and there's there's aspects of it that are that and and rightfully so, because it is trying to be an epic, but it's while reading this, it was surprising how often I found myself like chuckling because the thing the thing that Kelly Sue gets really, really right about the the gods versus the Amazons thing is how they talk about and see and experience life and existence in a completely different way from these people on earth. Right. Right. 
And so there's sometimes there's comedy drawn from the way that like a God would speak to someone who's mortal, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, and vice versa. And there's comedy in the way that the gods interact with one another. Um, and yeah, so it's not as, as stuffy or as encyclopedic as you might fear that it is. You know, I think I never feared that because I, I know that Kelly Sue is like a smarter writer than that. But I do think there are some, there are some projects where you, you squint at them and you go, Oh, this is trying to be like an encyclopedic take on something. And so it's going to be more dry and it's just going to try to deliver you the history of something, you know? And this is not, it doesn't fall prey to that really. So I just did a little research and I found the original Hollywood reporter notice about this book. Okay. And it says that liberal rag. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wonder Woman history of the Amazons, which tells the lost history of Wonder Woman's people from the, from their creation through the arrival of Steve Trevor on paradise Island. (laughs) Okay. So we clearly didn't get that. We didn't get that. (laughs) So, you know, we shall see what the future holds. But no, I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of humor in this. There's a lot of really well-crafted dialogue. You know, I, I, I think that it's interesting. You know, right now there's Gotham City year one happening that I know you're not particularly interested in. But I think that there is sort of this this desire for our bigger comic characters to set the stage for them, not just because of... Not just who the character is, but the world the character is walking into. Like this is why we have so many books set on Krypton, right? Mm-hmm. Because we like to know where these characters come from. And I think that even though Diana doesn't show up to the last couple of pages of this, I think this does as good a job as any book I've ever read of showing why the mascara is what it is and why Diana is who she is. Mm-hmm. And that's a hugely important thing to have from a comic. Like you said, especially because of the, because of how um, how few sort of easy to recommend eight to twelve issue series there are for Wonder Woman. So yeah, yeah I, I think this is I think this is fantastic. I think this is very very valuable, and I can't wait to as it get like the nice oversized absolute edition or whatever, and just marvel at. <laughs> the Nicola Scott, Gene Ha, and Phil Jimenez art. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the best art by all three of these people they've, they've ever done. I I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I've I love Gene Ha, but I've read less of Gene Ha's work than I would have liked to. So I, I gotta I gotta rectify that, but I can't imagine. I mean, ugh, the work the work he did on that second book was nuts. I would imagine um, that this almost has to be the best work by any of them because mm-hmm. it's probably the only time that all three of them were given such a period of time to, cre- to create it. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, if I, I can make you a good lunch in a half hour, but if you give me all morning, it's going to be different. Right. Right. Yeah. What did they, what did they say about uh, the Mona Lisa? Like, he, he, Da Vinci painted that over, like, 11 years or something like right, that. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Um, just a couple things that I don't want to lo- uh, 
miss out on saying before we move move on or end the show sure, or whatever. Sure. Um, I think the sequence where you see Diana birth out of clay is probably the most beautiful and, and touching that that has ever been depicted. Yes. It's kind of, it's really a holistic look at these feminine gods and, and this group of Amazons and Diana's birth all like coalescing in this beautiful way that really highlights Hippolyta as a character too. And then the other thing I wanted to say was about Hippolyta, which is that this is the definitive Hippolyta story. It's the most, um, fleshed out that character has ever been and it's the most clearly that you can see the link in influence and personality that goes from Hippolyta to Diana down down the chain so um yeah even if we never got future chapters of this well you know, at some points, Hippolyta was Wonder Woman and personality wise, values wise, a lot of that carries over. And so it's a de- it's a definitive take on a Wonder Woman regardless, you know. So, yes, um, I just wanted to say that before we moved on, because because there's there have been a lot of Hippolyta stories over the years. But like, I feel pretty comfortable saying that this is the this is the Hippolyta story. Right. I agree. All right. Well, uh, this is our last show of the year. So what is coming out in the first week of the new year comics wise? Oh, damn you. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at the multiversity guidebook, which is for some reason been put in our box. Interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you, you didn't see that? I did not see that. No, that's something I, I want to talk to you about that off off air okay. in a second. But um, anyway. Uh, all right. January 3rd. Batman 131, Batman Nightwatch 5, Dark Knights of Steel 9, Gotham City Year 1, number 4, Poison Ivy 8, Sword of Asriel 6, The Flash 790, and The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing 4. As we said earlier in the show, next week we're actually going to be covering Action Comics 1050 and just sort of the overall uh, Return of Kal-El storyline and maybe talking a little bit about one book from next week, but We'll talk about why we're not going to talk about that book next week. Next week. Uh, until then, <laughs> you can find me and Zach on Twitter. I am at Brian Internet. He is at the Wilk of Z. If you have to find Vince, he is hanging out in the Mall of America <laughs> trying to find the original location of Hulk Hogan's Postamania. <laughs> I know exactly where it was. <laughs> Brian, if you ever visit me, I will point it out to you. Uh, you fucking better. Yep. I, I absolutely know where that is. All right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Remember Event Leviathan?